0: Hey guys, Bill Spadia here. Welcome back to my new streaming show, Common Ground. Happy to be back with you this afternoon. Thanks for joining me on Roku, social media, um, whatever streaming platform that you are using. Uh, If you're on Rumble right now, I want you to like it, rumble it, share it, and we're gonna keep growing this audience. Great things are coming to the Garden State. As you know, I've spent the last, better part of the last nine months uh, around the state visiting small businesses, Groups of of medical practices, uh, families, neighborhood groups, community groups, all spreading the word that New Jersey is on the way back. I lead every speech with there's good news. So I'm going to say that to you today. There is good news. There's good news because I've got the largest audience in the state when it comes to media with the radio show, now the podcast. And we'll be making an announcement hopefully by next week where we're going to expand this uh, to several channels through streaming services like Roku. The The brand continues to grow. And the good news is that it is the largest media audience in the state. And that means people are paying attention. People are listening. People want something different. And as you know, um, about a year ago, I launched. The Common Sense Club, commonsenseclub.org is our main website, and that now has 105,000 members. So when you talk about giving up, when you talk about, oh, things are so bad, how can they get better? I'm here to talk about the fact that we've got more than a million people across the state of New Jersey that are saying, nope, we're going to fix it, we're going to fight back, we're going to be strong together, and we're going to fight locally. Now... As I make my way around, this is not about talking points for politics. It's not about looking ahead to any one election or another. It is about solving specific problems across the state. I've been blessed with a big microphone, and I've been blessed with the opportunity to communicate on a daily basis about things that are impacting New Jerseyans. And I could tell you, I just left a, a speech at uh, Nurse Jen's chiropractic practice in New um, Atlantic Highlands and we had we had 40 people that turned out for a quick meet and greet. She brought in some local home businesses and I met moms and dads who are frustrated and angry at what's going on in our school system. And one family in particular really stood out. Their son Connor had has special needs and was was literally trapped behind the walls of a hospital not being able to get the treatment that he needed despite the fact that his doctor wanted it because the hospitals were following protocols that in many cases are handed down by the insurance companies and even worse, the politicians. Well thankfully I got to meet Connor today and uh, he, is, he is on the mend and back and with us. But it speaks to a larger issue across New Jersey and I said this to the group today and I wanted to share this with you. No one is coming to save us we have to do this on our own we have to stand up as moms and dads and business owners and nurses and teachers and truck drivers and cops and firefighters and everyone in between and say enough we're going to stand up for our kids we're going to stand up for our families we're going to stand up for our communities we're going to fight for our state and our country and when you look at what some of the politicians have done over the past few years in trenton do you think they care They don't care. They don't care about your special needs kids. They don't care about your typical kid. They don't care that the system has been rigged against us for many, many years now. They don't care that special needs kids suffered with masks and mandates and isolation. They don't care that a third of the businesses went under during COVID, never to return. They don't care that you pay the highest taxes in the country, in New Jersey, and you don't even have the privilege of driving on great roads. They don't care about those things because the politicians in Trenton, well, they're in it for themselves. Now, one of the things that we've taken up with our 105,000 members and our largest in the state media audience, topping a million people across the state, is the cause of families with special needs kids who have been largely ignored by the politicians in Trenton. Now, one mom, is my guest today, my first guest today. We've got a number of folks joining us today, including Rosemary Becky from uh, Jersey First, where we're gonna talk about this ridiculous $53 million budget. John Peterson, the mayor of Seaside, who is gonna come on and talk about the outrageousness of the whale deaths and the, the, the wind turbines. But I wanted to start with a very special mom. Her name is Jen Love. Now her daughter, Emma, is special needs, and I'm gonna let her tell you the story, but it all goes back to a few years back when, when Emma was on a bus and the bus got lost. And it was a very traumatic experience that kept Emma isolated and away from her family for hours on end. And there's a law, there's a bill at least, that has started to creep through the legislature and it is called Emma's law, and it's very simple. It's about tracking the school buses so that moms and dads can be comforted to know that their kids and special needs kids are going to be safe. And it adds to that holding the drivers accountable. So accountability and action. It's very simple, but it hasn't gone to where it needs to go. And I'm going to let her tell the story. Jen, always good to talk to you. Thanks for joining me on Common Ground. Hi, Bill. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm doing great. I uh, I love your background. My uh, my good friend Jim Wyker, still uh, we're we're friends, and I've still got a lot of friends at the Weikert family of companies. Great, great business. Actually, I'm going to be um, I'll be there giving out the the uh, the prizes at Fiddler's Elbow in August for the cancer benefit. So I'll look oh, forward great. to seeing you there.
1: Happy to have you back for sure.
0: Thank you. So let let's yeah. start with the story. If you you're going to tell it better than I can, uh, right. uh, briefly recap. Emma's trauma, what happened that sparked this movement from you?
1: So back in 2011, um, you know, for those that don't know, the whole system is that the bid goes out to these companies from the county or the, the um, local community where the children is going to school and it goes to the lowest bidder and that bid goes out all the time. So your driver could change on a regular basis, your company can change on a regular basis. Back in 2011, we got a company um, that really wasn't the company I wanted, number one. And um, nobody on the bus spoke English, which is the only language that I speak, which made it impossible for me to communicate with the people taking care of my child. My daughter at the time was seven and she's 100% nonverbal. She needs 100% supervision and care. So she can't communicate for herself at all on the bus, I'm her only advocate. So um, we get this company and they take her to school one morning and they had been taking her for maybe three weeks at that point. I just happened to be having a parent teacher conference that same day, so I followed about two hours later. And when I got there, they said, oh, did you bring Emma? Well, my heart completely stopped. And long story short, six hours later, the state police found this, this bus with five special needs, nonverbal children on it, about two and a half hours away in Camden. What? So um, that added. How did the bus
0: end up possible. there? Did you find out? Like, how did how does that happen? Was the guy on a joyride? Did he get lost? they, said mean-
1: they got. They said they got lost, um, which they had been driving. The route is pretty much a straight line, right down the Garden State Parkway. Um, nowhere where you would turn off would you wind up in Camden. No. No. But um, they said they got lost. I wish I had pursued it more, but what I did then start pursuing is making sure that kids on these buses are safe, trackable, and accountable. Um, so in 2018, I was I was lucky enough that I got a driver and a bus company that was really great for, uh, for a few years. And in 2018, it, it all started all over again, where they were giving me a new company who would not give me the communication availability of the driver or the aide or the nurse, because my daughter has all three, she has autism and epilepsy. And um, there was no way for me to communicate with them or know where they were at any time. Hmm. So I refused to put her on the bus. Right. So that started, luckily, I do work at a company that supports uh, our children. And I was able to drive her to and from school. We live in Cranford. She goes to school in Neptune. So it gave me four captive hours a day in my car, and that's where Emma's Law started. Wow. Um, at the time, Assemblyman Bramnick and I uh, wrote the legislation, and it's it's been creeping along. This has been going on since 2018. We did get it through the Senate. The uh, Senate Transportation Committee voted unanimously, but we can't seem to get it on the Assembly agenda.
0: So this is where I, I believe we can come in and help. I mean, we have been able to move mountains by mobilizing parents and letting them know, hey, this is something that has to get done. Uh, And I want to publicize this as much as possible. You've come on the radio show a couple of times. Uh, Who is the leader in the assembly that has taken this up? Do you have anybody yet?
1: Yeah, uh, Michelle Milikukas is doing it. Um, And what the law says, so everybody knows, is that any vehicle transporting special needs children must have a communication device, a real-time tracking device. And real-time surveillance.
0: Simple. Simple.
1: Exactly what you get in an Uber.
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. Um, what do you? Let me ask you this, uh, Jen. What do you want to say to parents of special needs kids out there? Because I, I, I think you've got an incredible message. It's a message of empowerment. It's a message that you know you're not you're not crying victim. You're saying let's solve this problem going forward. And I I right. I think that there's a disconnect with a lot of folks in Trenton when it comes to our special needs communities. And I think there's a, a thought of a lot of people that, oh, you come to New Jersey and this is one of the best places to be. And, and, and I know that it is, but you've got so many cracks in the system. Uh, what do you want yeah. to say to the parents out there that are feeling desperate? And are there, are there groups out there? Are there people? Are you, do you have a support group that people can call into and, and work with?
1: Well, I do have a Facebook page for Emma's Law, and I communicate with a lot of parents who have just horrific stories of the same thing that I went through. I'm fortunate because I have the ability to be able to take her to and from. But a lot of parents have to get to work. They have no choice but to put their child on a bus and just hope for the best. And that's not good enough when it comes to our kids. It really isn't. Um, You know, typical children can communicate with their parents because every kid has a cell phone. Right. Our, our children can't do that. And so they're, we're immediately putting them in harm's way. You know, we teach our kids when they're little, don't get into a car with strangers, right? Well, you're asking me to put my child, who is the most vulnerable, into a car with strangers and hope for the best. And that's that's not good enough. You know, it always comes down to money. Um, thankfully, the, the head of the Transportation Committee for the Senate um, shut down the president of the NJEA because they came in opposition of it because of money, and he held up his cell phone and said, "Come on, I, I know where my grandchildren are, and they live in Florida. This so is a no-brainer." and it really, Jen, is did a this no-brainer. happen
0: with the current head of the NJEA? Did Sean? Sean yes. So you're telling me, Sean Spiller, who is the mayor of Montclair, who wants to run for governor in 2025, opposed Emma's law because of they cost.
1: Wow. Absolutely. They showed up and they um they were the only other group that showed up to testify against it. And thankfully the head of the, the Senate Transportation Committee and his name is escaping me right now, he he shut them right down.
0: Yeah. It's but good.
1: that's really atrocious that the, it's terrible. The group that's supposed to be taking care of our kids. Yeah. Is so, taking care of Jen,
0: that what head? we're going to do is I'm going to reach out. I'm, I'm hosting a series of events in Atlantic City where where the Republicans are going to be gathering over the weekend. Um, many legislators are going to be joining me for uh, dinner on Friday night, and I'm going to talk to them about this, about Emma's Law. My hope is that if, if we can... Uh, get a number of additional co-sponsors and hit this from a number of different angles, I think we can move the mountain because it's got to get to a broader base of elected officials. So I'm going to work on that on my end. I'd love to have you back on the radio soon as an update. And uh, if you can, tag me on your Facebook page so I can share it through our social media network. We've got a really extensive network that we can share from Twitter to instagram to facebook so it's it's um bill spadia official on on facebook if you tag me our team will make sure that gets shared so let's spread the word good luck hang tough and i'm here for you
1: thank you so much
0: okay jen thanks for joining me bye bye best everybody at weikert thanks all right that is jen love my call in number is 973-891-4421 um This is the kind of thing that we have to talk about, we have to talk about it often, and we have to get this into the minds of the public. Now think about that for a minute. Think about what you just heard. A mom of a special needs 11-year-old had an issue where her daughter was traumatized at that age, non-verbal, on a bus that somehow ended up in Camden, Two and a half hours away, lost for six hours. Come on, you know you could drive up and back. I, let me. I can tell you this firsthand. You can be all over the state in just about every county in six hours. So I don't. I don't buy that. I don't know what happened, but at the very least, there is no question that we've got to get a handle on this. And the fact that the president of the New Jersey Educators Association, the NJEA, the largest teachers' union in the state, one of the largest public worker unions in the state would oppose something as simple as accountability on our buses that are that are responsible for the protection of these special needs kids. Sean Spiller, mayor of Montclair, NJEA president, and talked about candidate for governor in 2025, opposes Emma's law because he doesn't like what it costs. I think that is an utter disgrace. I hope you remember that, and specifically for my Democratic friends, remember that when he's running in the Democratic primary. Reprehensible. Speaking of money, let's transition to uh, something that we talk about often. When you talk about Rose, uh, when you talk about uh, Emma's Law, we talk about uh, Billy Cray's Law, we talk about some of these simple fixes that can hold people accountable and protect the most vulnerable. You're not talking about a lot of money. and. The state budget, I don't know if you know this, has exploded on us in the past few years. It went from $35 billion, plus or minus, in the last year of Chris Christie to $50.6 billion last year to a whopping $53.1 billion this year. That's a 46% increase in five years. Now, the governor, Governor Murphy, and the Democratic majority are fine pushing a budget that is almost 50 percent higher than it was five years ago. Meanwhile, we can't get the money to fix the roads. They're complaining about the money for Emma's Law that would hold school buses accountable to the safety of special needs kids, all while they're whining and dining their fat cat friends and lining the pockets of special interests and insurance companies and big medicine. You think about if we applied fairness to this where's the fairness for the families of special needs kids where's the fairness for working families who are putting food on the table because they work three jobs where's the fairness for the taxpayers in new jersey that are paying now an average of nearly ten thousand dollars in real estate taxes Where's the fairness? Where's the fairness for the one third of small businesses that closed during COVID never to reopen? Where is the fairness for our police officers who are working hard every day to keep up with the constant release and revolving door of criminals because of this ill-advised bail reform and the governor's COVID protocols, releasing 5,000 criminals, convicted criminals, before their sentences were complete? Where's the fairness? It doesn't exist. So we've got to fight to get it back. Now, my next guest, is one of the, uh, I, would, I will call her an expert when it comes to tax policy, when it comes to budgeting and uh, monetary and, and financial policies. Um, she has been in government, she has worked in the private sector, she is an excellent attorney, and she is the head of a great organization called Jersey First. And we had a conversation on the radio the other day about the budget, and I thought you should hear the extended conversation here on Common Ground. Joining me now, Rosemary Becky. Rosemary, always great to have you on the show.
2: Oh, it's great to be here, Bill. I'm excited to have this conversation.
0: <laughs> so let's start with the number. How did how did we get to $53 billion? Now, for perspective, the budget levels we had five years ago are similar in Pennsylvania. And correct me if I'm wrong, bigger state, more cities, more services. And oh, by the way, they're fixing all of their bridges in the next two years.
2: Nuts. Yeah, I, I mean, we just keep spending money and our, and it, and our budget just keeps growing. I, I mean, it's exactly what you said. I mean 53.1 billion the governor is proposing this year. It's unbelievable. In in the time that he's been there, it's been more than a 50% increase in our spending. It's it's completely unsustainable.
0: And let me understand this, Rosemary, because you, you've looked at this detail we've got a debt in this state that tops $200 billion. We've got, uh, I think it's $210 billion in unfunded future liabilities when it comes to our state health plan. I think there are now 800,000 retirees in the system uh, from the pension to the health benefits. I understand a full almost 35, if not higher, percentage of the budget is going to debt service for money they've already borrowed and spent. So, where's all the other money going
2: so all the other money is going to fund all sorts of new programs and and it's again it's completely unsustainable what we really and and we just keep increasing the taxes to keep up with it and and we've really got to approach this in a way where we're reducing Reducing our spending, right? You you pick programs, um, then you fully fund them, and 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 that should be the extent of it. Not continuing, you know, to spend money, you know, that that we just don't have, frankly.
0: What do you think that if if the average taxpayer put yourself in in that shoes now? I mean, you and I, right? We're we're taxpayers in this state. I, I've asked this at different speeches, and as you know, I'm around the state constantly, and and, and uh, we're doing two, three events a night. And I always ask the question: You know, the budget's gone up forty-six percent since five years ago. Are you getting forty-six percent more in services? I've yet to get a yes on that question.
2: No, we're definitely not. And and look, there's such simple things we can be looking at changing, right? Changing the retirement system for our state employees. You know, we can also change the healthcare system. I mean, these are tough choices, but we've got to start to make some changes, start to control the costs and the money we're we're spending. Because again, you can't keep taxing people. Um, You know, we have some of the highest corporate taxes, in the country, the highest, I should correct myself, Um, the highest personal income taxes, I mean, you already said, are property taxes. I mean, on average, think about that $10,000, for, on average in New yeah. Jersey. Um you know, we have a really high gas tax as well. Um, and families can't afford it. They really can't because most of their money is is going straight out the door in taxes in this state.
0: You know, I I am um... Having a conversation with my friends at New Jersey Business and Industry Association, uh, we talk about with their annual report, they've shown clearly we're losing somewhere between 2.1 and $2.3 billion a year in adjusted gross income. So not only are the taxes going up, but those with the means are moving out. So seven out of 10 moves are out of state, three out of 10 are in state. We're not getting the high earners coming in paying more taxes. The high earners are walking out the door and... Others are moving in, and the burden on all the middle class just tends to rise. Um, we, we talk about healthcare. No one, to my knowledge, has done an audit of big companies like Horizon and the practice of how they do their billing when it comes to um, a well visit, for example, and a management fee. And as I've looked at this with my friend Doug Forrester, who, as you know, former candidate for governor, ran the pension system under Tom Kane. We estimate there's between five and seven billion dollars just in the fees that are being charged. So if you could take that down by a third and and take that two billion and put it back to the taxpayers, you could change the world. But the other thing, and I wanted to ask you this, the governor's walking around talking about a surplus because we had high tax revenue. So what's happening with the surplus? Did they just plow it right back into more spending?
2: Uh, they they are but right now he's sitting on it right and he isn't spending it um but and and what he is spending he's buying new suv vehicles and other things with that money um it's it's not being properly um handled and and it should be used in in more appropriate ways um and and again there's so much that we can be doing to drive down our spending and paying off more of our debt, you know, so that thing should that it's more sustainable here. I mean our property taxes are are just continually going up. And I think, you know, we hear from a lot of folks at Jersey First, while the rate might not be going up, maybe the assessments are suddenly going up. I think it's been reported in a number of areas that towns are completely, fully reassessing the values of the properties. And so, again, people are seeing these costs, you know, these hidden taxes Um, that are, you know, really weighing them down.
0: Well, and you touched on the gas tax and I I have had many conversations, you know, most people know I oppose the gas tax. I had a battle with Governor Christie over the gas tax uh, and Senator Oraho. And my bottom line is I am actually not philosophically opposed to user fees. I actually like them. I like beach tags. I like the fact that excuse me, a small town could charge a beach tag fee. So the the day trippers are paying to offset the cost of the lifeguards and the beach cleaning and the replenishment and all that uh, instead of burdening the local homeowners. That said, you don't put a gas tax in and make it the highest in the country and the biggest increase and then seed power away from the legislature to the Department of Transportation. Now, the elected representatives can't even vote on it unless they repeal the, the original law, which I want them to do, because even our friends in the skilled trades who are, it, we're all in favor of the gas tax. Every time I have a meeting, Rosemary, every time I give a speech on this in front of the construction trades, union, non-union, I get the same answer. We supported the gas tax. We were mad at your bill for, for opposing it. But it never was spent the way it was promised. Never. And and that's the key. If we took a billion dollars from the Rutgers subsidy and two billion from the overpaying on fees for the health system, we could put two billion into the roads and put all these guys back to work. Anyway, where do people go and find you, Rosemary, uh, if they want to learn more about Jersey First and your mission to bring some fiscal sanity to New Jersey?
2: Well, they can find us at our website. It's just jersey1st.org. We're also on Facebook and and Twitter, as well as Instagram. And I will share with you, Bill, I mean, we are really focused on the affordability issue. We're working very closely with our friends at NJBIA this year and some others around the state to really kind of push that messaging because we really have to push our governor to get the, the spending under control. Yeah. And and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. We're going to need some real changes here. But we, we've just got to continue to fight the fight yeah. that we need less spending and we need lower taxes. I yeah. mean, you just look across at what's happening in Pennsylvania and the success that they're having yeah. by lowering the taxes. It, it's driving people, you know, across the border. Right, And and we need to do the same so that they come back.
0: <laughs> I love it. Rosemary, I love it. We're going to need regime change in Trenton. We'll need a new majority and a new governor. And we've got the next three cycles to make it all happen. So thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, we'd love to have you back soon. Thanks, Rosemary.
2: Great. Right. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, you got it. That is Rosemary Becky. She is an expert, uh, not only a tax attorney, but tax policy expert, understands uh, monetary policy, fiscal policy. And you got to listen to what she said, right? That that Pennsylvania, just so you know, they cut their corporate business tax down to 4.99%. So now it's less than half of what we're paying here in New Jersey. So a lot of these small shops are able to pack up, and put their business in Pennsylvania. And you know all of a sudden, it's a game changer. We are drawing people out of New Jersey. What we need to do is draw them in. How do you do that? Number one, you got to cut the corporate business tax. I would cut it to zero for small businesses with, let's say, 25 or fewer employees. So your mom-and-pop shops are essentially getting a, a tax break, a tax holiday that will last... Well, it should just continue to last. There's no reason why we should be trying to balance our budget on the backs of our small businesses. What we'd rather do is have people earn more money and then pay more in taxes because they're earning more. It's very simple. When George Bush cut taxes in 2003 and then again in seven, we saw a government surplus. That's, that's how you get there. You cut taxes to stimulate growth. It's very simple. And one of the reasons I brought Rosemary Becky on and I I mentioned my friends at NJBIA is, I want you to know that I'm not standing up here on a soapbox just talking about it. Yep, I have a big microphone. I've got the largest audience in the state and I'm loving what I do every morning, six to 10 a.m. on New Jersey 101.5 and now expanding it here to Common Ground, which will be coming to a Roku channel near you very, very shortly. Wait, stay tuned for that announcement. I want you to know that I've pulled in some of the best minds that are out there, some of the strongest advocates, the people that are really getting down into the detail, because what we need as we fight to elect new legislators, school board members, mayors and commissioners and everything in between in 2023, what we need in 2024 as we do it all over again and then in 25 when we are going to have an opportunity to elect a new governor. What we need are specific policy proposals, and I've proposed a lot of them, and you can read about some of my proposals at commonsenseclub.org, but what I'd like you to do right now is join do two things. Number one, go to jointhefight2023.com. Join the fight2023.com. Fight Sign up and be a part of this common sense movement. And know that you are not alone. And we're smart enough to bring in the people that do know the answers. So we're going to address things like the Rutgers subsidy. We are going to address things like not just not just rutgers uh, but new jersey transit the highway administration the turnpike and the parkway we're going to address the issue of the one in nine which has fallen apart we're going to address the issue of the gas tax and the fact that we've ceded power from the legislature to the bureaucracy we're going to address motor vehicles department of labor department of education all of these things in a very specific way and over the next year i'm going to be coming at you with very detailed plans, plans like cutting the corporate business tax to zero for those shops with 25 or fewer employees, Uh, a plan to have a universal beach tag that can be shared by towns that opt in, a plan that is going to uh, get our skilled trades back to work, a plan on how we can afford cost of living adjustments for our firefighters and cops, all of these things. We need to get back and spend the money in the right way. Look, we can't have a government without taxation and without some spending. But what we must do is get back to some common sense and find the balance. We have to cut corporate taxes to bring businesses in. We need to cut taxes on the highest income earners at the top bracket so that we can go and bring back some of that $2.1 billion that has walked out the door every year for the past 10 years. It's unacceptable. My ideas on the reverse millionaire's tax are backed by accountants and professionals who understand money and monetary policy and tax policy. We can do this, and I promise you that I will bring in the experts and the skilled folks that can get the job done. We are building a team over the next couple of years that are going to help me help you revitalize this state and bring it back. Now, one of the things we're going to do, and I can't wait to do this, is put a nice red line, maybe we'll go with an X, on... The boondoggle debacle that is the governor's energy master plan, which includes wind turbines, wind turbines, I should add, that are not only contributing to the death of wildlife and our marine life, whales washing up dead, dolphins washing up dead, a detriment to Bats, you don't think of that, but yes, they're actually, according to the Forest Administration at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, one of the biggest leading killers of bats, which is upsetting the ecosystem in so many communities, is our wind turbines. But right now we have a crisis off the Jersey Shore. We not only have had some 13 whales wash up dead, bruised and beaten and, and destroyed by passing ships. It's all because, according to many experts, if not most, because of the mapping that's happening for these wind turbines. that are going to be a thousand feet in the air. And by the way, filled with diesel for backup engines, oil to keep the gearboxes lubricated. So don't think for one second this wind boondoggle is anything but a money grab for the oil companies that are investing in it, anything but a money grab for the governor who is looking to run for president. This has nothing to do with you. And their mapping is disrupting the sonar the way that these these mammals in the ocean find their way around. So they're crashing into ships and they're washing up by the dozens. This is an actual environmental crisis, not to mention the capacity factor of wind power, not to mention the usurping of local rights and land rights, not to mention the fact that they don't do what they are telling you they're going to do. But right here in front of us, dead whales washing up on the beach. So let's, let's bring in my friend. I, I, I have to tell you, he's got, uh, he, he really, uh, this has hit hard because John Peterson is one of New Jersey's great mayors. He is a guy that understands the Jersey Shore. He's a guy that understands his constituents. You know, I've been saying for years that we have to build local and build this state up from the ground up. Well, one of the champions of local, his name is John Peterson. He is the mayor of Seaside Park, and he joins me now. Mayor, great to have you on the show. How are you?
3: I'm fine, uh, Bill. and Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity to come on about this very, very important issue, uh, not just to everyone here along the New Jersey shore, but indeed to everyone throughout the state of New Jersey, if not beyond.
0: Take me to the day that you and I spoke when you spotted the whale this most recent whale death floating off the coast of seaside park knowing full well that it was going to wash ashore hoping that it was just it was the way the light was hitting and it wasn't actually dead and then finding the gruesome discovery as it washed ashore take me to that day and the reaction of the people on the beach then to the necropsy that uncovered what i i think we all suspected to begin with
3: Well, Bill, it was uh, indeed a very sad experience, and uh, I shared the moment throughout the afternoon uh, just last week when uh, a group of us, uh, one passerby, had initially spotted the whale. It was uh, well out beyond the waves where uh, surfers would be ordinarily, Uh, and indeed we all did hope that that whale was simply feeding on the, whether it's the schools of Moss bunker or what have you, and that it would soon turn over and go about its way. Uh, and obviously, uh, as the moments passed, we all knew that that would never occur. Uh, we had fishermen. We had beach walkers, people who come to Seaside Park and the shore just to enjoy the winter off-season and stroll, walk the beach. And we were all Together in one very very sad moment, all age groups and different kinds of people, and I, everyone really had tears in their eyes when they realized that, that that whale was deceased, and our town yet was experiencing one of these sad moments, and that became the these magnificent creatures number thirteen, uh, which is washed ashore now with just this brief. Uh, period of time, less than two months. Uh, It was very, very sad.
0: Let me ask you, um, and it it, it certainly is emotional. There's no way for it not to be. I mean, anybody that appreciates and values nature and God's creation, and you say, wow, um, in the interest of development, certainly there is a toll that is taken on certain wildlife. That's happened. We understand that. There has always been, though, to this point, A balance. We've had a balance between development. We've had a balance between the politicians and the big companies. I see with this, there's been no balance. The governor just says, we're not going to talk about it. We're going to move past it. We're not going to talk about it. And there have been a lot of questions raised about whether or not um, interests that are friendly to the governor, uh, whether they're corporate interests or even he's been accused of having family interests. I don't know. Um, You know, we'll see as, as evidence surfaces. But he's been accused of having... Um, such a cozy relationship with these companies that he was willing to bring them in, no matter what the expense. But what do you say to the folks that say, "Wait a minute, John. Wait a minute. That necropsy showed a crushed skull. That was a that was a whale hit by a boat. The wind t- the wind turbines aren't even up yet."
3: Um, absolutely, uh, Bill. Those that uh, say, "Oh, that's the answer. Answer. End of story." are simply sweeping it under the rug. Uh, the real question is, why on earth are these uh, beautiful, magnificent creatures now suddenly being struck by vessels in this kind of these vast numbers? Uh, it's obviously, and by any reasonable exploration, it's, it's more than an accident. It's clearly more than an accident. Uh, we're, we're given this uh, very curt response. Uh, where's the evidence? Well, the evidence is the death of this many uh, gigantic whales that have occurred over this extremely short period of time. Uh, I've joined with many of my fellow mayors, uh, and I hope that the group of mayors is growing beyond those up and down the New Jersey shore to become universal and it uh, reaches the halls of Trenton. Uh, But we're calling for a moratorium. Simply stop. This is far too much too many and too fast with inadequate scientific research, review, no pilot project was ever put in place, and there's no comparison to all the bounty plus the beauty of the Jersey shore, uh, those that try to compare uh, our situation with uh, those areas where there are simply four windmills, for example, or those windmills in areas not as bountiful with all of the uh, riches of the Atlantic Ocean in our particular (laughs) area of the country. Those people, are simply wrong. They're off base. And it leads to the natural questions, uh, why are they in such a hurry? What are they rushing? Whether it's to cover up, move on, there's simply no adequate cost-benefit analysis that stands for this. Magnitude, massive amount of hundreds of billions of dollars yeah. being funneled into something that simply does not yield the actual results that uh, we've been uh, led to believe through propaganda and yeah. otherwise.
0: I, John, I, I'm with you on that. And I find that that we're having, the, it's the strange bedfellows that politics generates where you've got people on the, the left that are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. People on the right saying, wait a minute. Sometimes with different views on this, but let's take out, the, the whales for a second and the, the emotion of that and the disruption. And let's take out the, the fact that the wind power could never possibly generate what they're claiming. We've watched it happen in California, watched it happen in Germany. We now have an increase in coal fired plants in Germany because the wind can't keep up with the demand. We have blackouts and brownouts in California because the wind can't keep up with the demand. But let's put that aside for a moment you're being stuck with the price tag of getting rid of the dead whales
3: uh absolutely that was even just <laughs> one more uh detrimental impact yeah. uh, probably way on down the line as to the value uh, the irony the atlantic ocean is a farm not these massive industrial complexes being mislabeled as wind farms they're yeah. not farms they're massive industrial sites. The farm is the ocean itself. Right. And indeed, we were fortunate, as you uh, s- stated, to have a large, varied group of commercial fishermen, recreational fishermen, those from every kind of political stripe groups all came together in a rally just two weeks ago to call for a moratorium. Stop this. Let's yeah. look at it. Let's have a sensible realistic, open public forum about this, which has not occurred. The only forums were those uh, often referred to kind of in the dead of night through virtual platforms right before the holiday season. By and large, there are uh, not in-person hearings held on the New Jersey shore. But that coast way down the line, if you uh, you can't even put a price tag on the, the threat that this is jeopardizing our environment the yeah. fishing industry and the like but bottom line once the uh final uh, necropsy was performed on the the animal through the good work of the uh all the groups that came together the marine mammal stranding center we had NOAA, we had our local fire department police department the nearby community of seaside heights the ocean county sheriff's department and our public works department and we had a, a, a private landover, billy major Everybody contributed to an effort, but we were left with the result and the taxpayers had to perform, which were one of the three all certainly sad options, how to get rid of the carcass. And ultimately it was the taxpayers that we had, as I uh, note, a contribution through private landowner as well, who had equipment on site. But the taxpayers foot the bill at the end of the day for these situations, as just occurred the week earlier in Manusqua, New Jersey, right up the
0: coast. Well, you said it, 13 in two months. I mean, you're talking about more than one a week. This is not some natural occurrence. This is obviously happening because of this total disruption from the mapping. Um, I want to see this not only a moratorium now, but I would like to see a permanent cancel of this. This is not the way New Jersey should be powering the grid. This is completely off the charts from anybody who's a a moderate centrist in either party. You don't have to be on one extreme or the other. The average person looks at this and says, why? Why is this being shoved down our throat? What could possibly be the benefit and the truth is, follow the money, the benefit is to the big guys that don't live on the Jersey Shore, that aren't paying the local taxes, that are not walking the streets and running a retail shop. And this is unfortunate. Honestly, John, I think it's a grotesque abuse of power. Um, You're a a local champion, though, and I appreciate you and know that uh, as long as I have a microphone, you and the residents at the Jersey Shore and the local leadership will have a voice. So we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to fight hard to get this moratorium put in place. And I can promise you that over the course of the next couple of years, one way or the other, this boondoggle is going to be stopped. John Peterson, great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me today.
3: Thank you very much, Bill, and thanks for highlighting this extremely important issue.
0: You got it. All right, that is Mayor John Peterson joining me from his office in Seaside Park, uh, and I don't—I I can't highlight this enough. When you've got a courageous voice, a leader like John Peterson, who understands that the job of being a mayor is a job to be an advocate and a champion for local, for the people that live in the community. And there are so many reasons, which we could go through a hundred of them, when it comes to what this wind project actually means to New Jersey. Number one, wind power. The best capacity factor that they've achieved is 35%. In layman's terms, that simply means 35% of the time, the windmills are producing energy. The other 65%, they're not, they're being maintained, they're shut down for whatever reason, bad weather, maintenance, etc. cetera. Number two, it is a myth to think that you are moving away from fossil fuels. You are talking about thousands and thousands of gallons of diesel and oil, all used in the construction, in the maintenance, in the servicing of these beasts. And, and thousands and thousands of tons of steel that have to be transported and put in. And then you've got to talk about the base that completely disrupts the ocean floor and kills the wildlife that is there. So where's the feeding ground for these other animals? You are disrupting an ecosystem that is so critical to the Jersey shore, not just to the animal life and to nature, but to the human population living there. Let's face it, our property values on the Jersey shore took a hit. We had a hard time through Sandy. Some people have yet to recover fully from that. And you look around and say, the value gets diminished by the high taxes. The value gets diminished because of these pop-up parties, which my friend Antoine McClellan is dealing with aggressively. So when you think about how disruptive this wind power is and how ineffective it is, it has to be stopped. The whales are just the latest bad optic for the governor and the big companies that put the billions of dollars behind this this ill-fated and ill-advised project. So You can count on this. I will continue to fight this until we end this, until we get the windmills completely banned from the Jersey coast. It's enough already. We have natural gas and nuclear to power every home in this state. And my friends at Waste Management, one of the most innovative waste disposal companies in the country, are harnessing methane gas from landfills across the country to power homes. We could be converting methane into powering homes. We already have 75% of the homes in New Jersey using natural gas to heat and fuel their homes. So the clean energy solution has already been found. We've got to now divert and allocate the right amount of money to maintain those infrastructures and stop this political pandering to radical environmentalists who in turn now, because of the wind projects, are now damaging the environment way beyond anything that anybody could have imagined. Okay, let's move on. I want to talk about, you know, this whole show has been about local, right? It's about local. It's about how Trenton government, sometimes Washington government, comes in and intervenes locally and does tremendous damage. Now, I'm going to not talk about the, the disaster of the two years of lockdown and how unfair and unjust families and small businesses were treated. Now we have a new problem on the horizon. Now, I don't know if this is because the governor's running for president or if he's just looking to be reckless so he can check off an accomplishment of his despite the consequences. We have a situation where 7,000 plus restaurants and bars and liquor stores across this country, this, this state have a liquor license. Now, in many cases, those liquor licenses are valued between $300,000 and a million dollars. And there are thousands of business owners that have mortgaged their homes, put up their money, and are now counting on this investment to be a part of their retirement. Why? Because it's a part of the sale of the business. The governor has come in, in a, a... grotesque appeal to consumerism to basically tell everybody you want to be able to get booze in any restaurant you walk into we're going to start giving away these licenses we're going to end the private sale of the licenses in five years and end the limitations and you know the average consumer says sure I'd love to get a glass of wine and a beer in any place I walk into what they're not telling you is that this will be a death blow to so many businesses that count on the value of that license which by the way was inflated and created by government regulation to begin with this goes back to the 1960s you're talking about some of these businesses that have been around for 50 75 years family legacies neighborhood watering holes and overnight the governor will devalue that business down to next to nothing it's not right One leader fighting against this and bringing some real common sense. Her name is Dana Lancelotti, and she is with the New Jersey Restaurant and Hospitality Association. She joins me now. Dana, welcome to Common Ground. How are you?
4: Hi, Bill. I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm a little worked up about this whole thing. I I feel like it. And now I have a little more time than we had on the radio the other day. So let's let's jump right into it. Um, What is your initial take on the governor's motivation how is he selling this and how are your members reacting to it
4: wow so uh well we do we we have a diverse landscape of members so we we certainly support more than just the the restaurants that have licenses liquor licenses um, we also support BYOBs and right. breweries and wineries and lots of tourism entities, but um, but yeah, we we I, I do see this as a, a focus on on revitalization of downtowns for sure. Um, and we are we're in favor of that portability opportunity for licenses and more accessibility that way. What, what's really really concerning is the the sort of the rapid movement of this plan and the fact that. It would you know, it does call for putting new licenses out on the market and an ultimate goal of having unlimited licenses, which to, to that In five years, and, right? It, it, yeah, five or six yeah. years is is the plan's uh timeframe. And that's incredibly uh, speedy in a in in a situation that has been an issue for so many years. This I have members on my board who were here 30 years ago having this conversation. <laughs> they have never come to a solution that everyone could agree on that seemed like it would make sense. So it bubbles up and then it, it dies out. And and unfortunately, none of us think the system is is great. We all agree that there needs to be a change. So quite honestly. I was glad that it was, it was being examined again, and I was glad that I got to be here for this. Um,
0: and then they and go the, crazy, like they always do. They go too far. Let me ask you, Dana, what, what, you and I talked about this briefly on the radio. What about the, I think the number is, uh, there are 1,500, maybe there are more than that, licenses not being used. They are dormant and they're there, and they're concentrated in city areas because it is weighted toward the population, when in reality, with all the movement out to the suburbs, you could easily take those licenses and distribute them, sell them, figure out a way to to get them out into the local communities. What's the conversation on that? Why not start with those licenses first?
4: Yeah, and that's what we've been saying. And we we have been discussing this for a year. This has been working up to this for a long time and a lot of talks and a lot of um, conversations with legislators as well as the um, administration. And the pocket license part, which you're speaking of, which are the dormant licenses, is absolutely where we we have simply said, look, start with them. Um, it's somewhere between 13 and 1500. Um, and that's a lot of licenses. How many you know do you need to start off this um, better available? Ability and access thing. Um, I think that with that with that avenue, the licenses would still hold a market value, and that may be a little that may be higher than uh, what the administration was looking for. They're looking for, for much less expensive um, licenses as their ultimate goal.
0: And what would happen, I mean, just as, a, as an example, I talk about the devaluation. I mean, let's take a, a bar in New Brunswick and, and that license might be worth, I don't know, $400,000, $425,000, something like that. Uh, what happens to the value of that when all of a sudden it's unlimited other than what? You pay a fee to ABC and you've got your license.
4: Yeah, that's the part that's so scary. I mean, come on, we have to think about, look, we're trying to find a way to better opportunities for people who maybe can't afford this or or are in an area that's challenged and they're trying to revitalize a downtown. That's all fantastic stuff. Um, the problem is that just because you want that and that's ideal doesn't mean that we can get there in one fell swoop. Um, it has to be done in a very, very well uh, thought out way that is not going to devastate investments that have been made. These these people who have these liquor licenses are our mom and pops who have worked their way up to the point where they could afford that license. They've done whatever they had to do to get to it. The stories, Bill, if and I know you've heard them, because I know you love to listen to business, small businesses talk about their stories, and it's it just tugs at your heartstrings because yeah. they're basically the typical American dream. It's people who 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 wanted a restaurant and a bar. They maybe paired up with someone that they met in the business, and they ended up a couple that's that's working toward this. And they, after years and years of hard work, and I'm telling you, once they succeed, what we consider success, they're still working oh, all right. the time. Right. I mean, all through that's COVID, they, they couldn't breathe because these are people who have their boots on the ground they don't have layers of people a lot of these restaurants you know the owner is going to come in and he's going to cook and he's going to greet guests and he's going to bust tables during you know the the difficult times that we just went through and um the last thing that you want to do is to put out there um, a, a plan that's going to harm a large group of people who have done everything the right way, who actually followed the rules that were given to them. As you said, these were dictated by the state that the, 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 right. the licensees didn't have anything to say about right. the cost of the licenses. Um, and yes, investments are always a risk. But but this wasn't this was something that that they thought they could count on. And they've certainly been recognized as collateral by the banks, which I know you mentioned as well. A big yes. Deal. That so that that's so
0: Dana, I am I, um, I'm out of time as I wrap up. How do people get in touch with you if they have a restaurant or a bar and they want to join your organization? They want to hear your advocacy. Where do people go?
4: njrha.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and all of those as well. We're happy to be here to support. Great.
0: Well, Dana, we're going to stay in touch because I'm going to continue this fight. I believe we can win this and and have a common sense, common ground solution that benefits the revitalization of the downtowns and areas that need it and maintains the value of what so many families across the state have worked so hard to achieve. Thank you, Dana. Appreciate your time.
4: Thank you so much, Bill.
0: You bet. Take care. All right. That is Dana Lancelotti with the New Jersey Restaurant and Hospitality Association. And as she said, and you you heard the you heard it, I mean, this is we all want to revitalize our downtowns. But you know what? Why aren't we looking at this from the perspective of taking those pocket licenses that aren't being used? The state could distribute those across downtowns and main streets across the state. There's no reason that there isn't a practical solution here. I can tell you this and what you're gonna hear from me over the next couple of years, as we work hard 23, 24, 25 and beyond to fix this state and to bring it back for normal, bring it back for hardworking Americans, hardworking citizens, taxpayers, families, first responders and everyone in between, you're gonna hear practical solutions because guys, I've got good news. I'm not going anywhere. I know you're digging in with me. And there are more of us than there are of them. And we got to stop that group, that group in Washington and that group in Trenton that wants to abuse your rights and walk over your family and wreck your retirement and raise the cost of living for you. You know what? They've ignored the real needs of the people that put them in office for too long and we are going to change it. Do two things. One, go to jointhefight2023.com and join me. Join the Common Sense organization. Fight with me. Stand with me. Interact with me. Join and become a member. I want to see you on our monthly Zoom calls and talk to you and get you a part of this great thing that we're building. Join the fight 2023com And of course, I want you to support our great sponsor, my good friend, I'll tell you, Rob Gill, he's a good guy, and he's opened up this beautiful studio in Red Bank in beautiful Monmouth County, New Jersey. Epic Financial. Go to the website and get your finances in order. Find out the amazing things that this company can do for you. Go to MoneyMindset2023.com. That's MoneyMindset2023.com. Guys, I got to get out of here. I'm already over time. Have a great rest of your day. Stay tuned for some very cool announcements coming up over the next few weeks. Join the fight 2023.com and I'll see you right here 430 next week.